Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. That is a perfect song to lead into what we're looking at today in 1 John chapter 2. Open your Bibles. I want to begin reading in verse 18. Up to this point, John has mentioned the believer and his sin and his moral life. He's talked about our relationships, our social life as believers. He's also talked about us living in the word and in the world and not loving the world. And today we're going to look at the truth. A believer, you know it matters what you believe. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, the ancient words. In what you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. It's amazing what people know or don't know about the Bible. Here are some actual answers given by elementary students. Now, evidently, you know, we give kids a break because they're still learning. But these are some funny answers concerning a Bible knowledge test. For example, Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. The the seventh commandment is, thou shalt not admit adultery. (laughs) Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. 
A man man should have only one wife. This is called monotony. The first commandment that Eve told, the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. And finally, Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says to do one to others before they do one to you. (laughs) Have you ever heard anyone say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere? Folks, it does matter what you believe. When John begins verse 18 with little children, I told you there's several words for children. For example, in verse 12 and in verse 18, he uses the word for offspring have been born, like a newborn. But here, this word children is the word padia, which refers to an infant. And he's talking to spiritual infants. It implies that infants can learn. And we know they can. When the children begin to grow, they begin to learn. They're open to what we have to say. And he's addressing these Christians in Asia Minor saying, listen, you spiritual Infants. He's not being critical. He's just saying you're young in the faith. He said, I listen to me. I want to tell you something, and I don't want you to forget it. He said, it is the last hour. Two words for last. Sometimes we get a little confused about that. For example, the word husteron, which means the very last of the last. That's not the word that's used here. Like if you were in line and you were the very end, I'm the last one. That's the word last. But the word here is eschatos, which describes the last time period. We're in the last days. When did those last days begin? They began in Hebrews 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, that's the word eschatos, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world. We've been living in the last days ever since Jesus was here. And of course, Jesus has gone back to the Father and we're looking for him to return. We're living in the last days. Now, however long those last days go on, I'm not sure, but we do know you can see the signs of the times happening all the time. We're in the last days. And in these last days, John wants to make sure that you don't don't get deceived. You're not deceived by false teachers. And so... In these last days, he first notes the difference between true and false disciples. Now, you're going to have to write fast today. I know there's a lot of blanks to fill in. I got a lot to tell you. Let me put this another way. This is the difference between the saints and the ain'ts. You're either a saint or you ain't. And when I say saint, it doesn't mean you've got a halo on. It means that you're a believer. You're a born-again believer in Christ. And there's a difference between those who are true believers in Christ and those who are counterfeit. A lot of counterfeits today. A lot of ways that Satan waters things down. And so he he begins to show the difference. He first mentions the false and deceptive, and I call them betrayers. 
In verse 18, he says, you have heard, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, 2 Thessalonians gives the first reference to the man of lawlessness. And when I say the word Antichrist, you think of the person that's going to show up before the second coming of Jesus and and lead the world that's in turmoil. And, and, and the second Thessalonians talks about that. And it was written a long before first John was. You've heard, and he's probably speaking, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And you know, down through the ages, people have tried to put a person with the Antichrist, you know, all kinds of presidents and all kinds of world leaders have been called the Antichrist. And we don't know if the Antichrist, the person of lawlessness that's going to, to lead the world in rebellion against God, we don't know if he's here or yet. But he says the word Antichrists, plural. He said that it basically refers to the principle of evil that is opposed to God, opposed to Jesus Christ. He said, that's already here. The, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. But incidentally, the word Antichrist only occurs five times in the Bible, and it's all in John's writing. John is the one who uses that term. But the principle here is that in every generation, there are people who are anti-Jesus, anti-Christ, anti-God. They've either been open and blatant opponents of God, or they've made subtle attempts to replace the truth with lies. A partial truth is a whole lie. So either following the truth or not, and it says many antichrists have come. It means the spirit that will characterize the final antichrist, the capital A antichrist, is already working in those who we're leaving some of the congregations that John is writing to. He said they're leaving because they really weren't of Christ. I've mentioned to you these false teachers, these Gnostics that were teaching that Jesus really wasn't the son of God, that he wasn't man, and so forth. And even Jesus, when he was on the earth, recorded in the gospel, said in Mark 13, 6, he said, for many will come in my name, saying that I am he, and deceive many people. Or in Mark 13, 22, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. In Acts 20, verse 29, it says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I don't have to tell you that the spirit of anti-God and anti-Christ is already in our world. Satan. He also, not, he not only mentions the, I, I should have put this in there, the presence of anti-Christ. We already have it here in the world. And you, you and I both know, I mean, the, the antagonism toward Jesus and the antagonism toward Christians, that's the, the presence of many anti-Christs in the world. Now, right under that, he speaks of the parting, the leaving of the Antichrist. In verse 19, it says, they went out from us in order that it might show that none of them belonged to us. 
The defection of Antichrist gives clear evidence of their true character. Jesus said in Luke 12, 12, Luke 2, 12, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hidden that shall not be made known. And God has a way of unmasking those who are not true. Now, I want to be real careful with terminology here. Sometimes Baptist churches get a bad rap when they say, well, you believe in once saved, always saved. I do. However, the word saved is the key word because a lot of people claim that they have been saved. And they may even say, well, I I was baptized as a child. I walked down an aisle or I made a commitment when I was a little kid. And yet their life never bears out any fruit at all, ever. I think salvation is suspect there. I'm not God. I don't know their hearts. But if you think for a moment, well, I can just pray a prayer and be saved, and then I can go live like I want to, that is not what this is talking about. The perseverance of the saints, listen to me, salvation is not the reward for endurance. Endurance is a mark that you've been saved. Did you hear what I said? It doesn't say, well, I'm going to endure to the end. i got to keep myself saved to the end. That's, you've already been saved through Jesus Christ. The reward is not enduring to the end. The mark of salvation is that you will endure to the end. You won't leave him. Some false teachers might not be manifested until the judgment, but a lot of people leave the fellowship of believers in different ways. Now, if you don't stay with me, I'm going to make some of you mad. If you tune in about halfway through this, you're going to go, well, that preacher's crazy. But you know what? One of the first signs, one of the first signs is physical desertion. They leave. They quit attending. They quit coming. Am I saying that everybody that's not here today is not a Christian? Yes, I am. No, I'm not. I'm teasing you. I know there are some people that can't be here. I, I'm not. T- you know what I'm talking about? You have some people that, man, they come and they come, and then all of a sudden, they're gone, never to return again. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not judging them, but I'm telling you that is a sign that something's not right. Because when you love Jesus, you love his people, and you want to be with them. Sometimes there's moral desertion. Does that mean that if I've ever gone out here and sinned that I've lost it? No. Obviously, we still struggle with sin, but you do not go live in immorality forever. You do not let your life be characterized by moral laxness, I guess is the right word. And then sometimes there is doctrinal or intellectual desertion. They just finally quit believing that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Now, when you see someone who's come to church for a long time suddenly bail out in favor of some false doctrine, some cult, you know that God is manifesting them that they're not true believers. What's even more tragic is is when false believers 
False believers become so comfortable in a church that eventually all the true believers go someplace else. And what you have left is what's known as a liberal church of today. You and I are not, I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation because all of us have sinned. All of us have made mistakes. Sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. Sometimes you don't feel good. Please understand, in case you just turned on the online, <laughs> look at your overarching life. I'm not talking about any one isolated incident. Overarching life. You want to be with God's people, you're going to believe in Jesus Christ, and you're going to know what sin is. I'm going to show you why in just a minute. A little girl was visiting her grandmother. It was in a small country town in the south. They attended one of those really emotional religious services. You might, you know, they nickname them holy roller services and that kind of stuff. A little girl asked her grandmother, and of course the people were jumping up and down and shouting and doing lots of emotional things. She asked her grandmother, she said, Grandmother, does all that jumping up and down mean the Holy Spirit's really here? Her grandmother said, Honey, it doesn't matter how high they jump. It's what they do when they come down that'll tell you if it's the real thing. That's really true. But then John mentions the faithful and the devoted believers in verse 20. Look at it. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. The Gnostics used to describe their religious experience, and I mentioned this to you, by their knowledge, gnosis, Gnostics, gnosis, it, by their knowledge, we have achieved, we have superior knowledge. And they also like the word anointing or unction. They, had say, they would say, well, we have received a special anointing from God that has given us a superior knowledge. And they, came, they claimed that God had lifted them to a higher level of understanding. I am such a higher level than you are. John tells these young believers, he said, first of all, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Anointing is the word chrisma. Christ comes partly from that word chrisma. It's used here and in verse 27. And it literally means here, ointment. The anointing of the believer receives is from the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 says, Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the earnest or the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts. Who anoints us? Jesus Christ. When you pray to receive Christ, when you commit your life to him and he comes into your life, God anoints you, puts in you the Holy Spirit who gives you direction and unction. And it says, and you know all things, or sometimes it's translated, and you all know. 
And, and here's what I want you to understand, that because now the Spirit of God lives in you and the truth lives in you, you can begin to discern lies and when the truth is not being taught. The Christian's preservative, I guess you would say, the Christian's preservative against the error of heresy and false teaching is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me describe it this way. There was a, a lady who called her husband, and she said, something's wrong with the car. And he said, well, what's wrong with it? And she said, there's water in the carburetor. And he said, honey, you don't even have a clue what a carburetor is. She said, trust me, there's water in the carburetor. He said, all right, tell me where the carburetor is. She said, I don't know where it is, but I'm telling you there's water in the carburetor. And he said, well, where's the car? She said, it's in the swimming pool. (laughs) Now, the reason I bring that up is because the discernment works that way. You may not know all of the theological terms, and you may not know all of of the parts, the different pieces, but something in you the Holy Spirit in you tells you there's something not right there. Maybe you can't put it in words. Maybe you can't defend it. But the Holy Spirit of God says there's something not right here. And the reason I bring it up is because this God says, I'm going to lead you in the truth. We have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. It's a discernment part. You might see some people preaching, and you say, you know, that guy sounds right, it sounds good, but there's just something I'm not quite sure about there. I just can't go there. Well, you need to check it out, because it could be the Holy Spirit saying, that's not right. It's not in keeping with God's Word. It's not accurate. It's not responsible. That leads to an awareness of the truth in verse 21. I'm not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. Christ gives us the Holy Spirit, and that means that the knowledge of all things pertaining to spiritual truth is now available for us to understand. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the spiritual man, the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. It says the natural man who does not have the Holy Spirit living in him cannot discern spiritual things. But when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you begin to get it. I can prove it to you. Have you ever seen anybody in Hollywood who does not know Jesus, let me put that condition in there, accurately portray spiritual things? They're spiritually discerned. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. John 14, 26, Jesus said this, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The ancient words. John is saying the Holy Spirit teaches them that the lies of the apostates have no part of the truth. True believers will never fall into apostasy because the Holy Spirit in you is a built-in lie detector for the truth. Amen? Well, then John moves on to show the distinction between true and false doctrine. 
You want to know if somebody's a heretic or not? That's kind of a strong word. I don't mean to sound so harsh, but that's what they are. You find out their doctrine. First, he shows false belief in verse 22, and it's the rejection of Jesus. It's false belief. Verse 22 says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. One who denies. And he uses a verb tense here that I need to call your attention to. The word deny is in a present tense, which means continually, consistently, all the time, continuous action. Continuously denies Jesus. Harsh words. I can imagine every one of us at some point have denied our Christianity, not in the sense that we've turned our back on it, but like Peter, been put on the spot, and maybe we didn't stand up like we should, and we've denied. So don't go there. The verb tense says that if you continuously deny Jesus Christ, then you can't be saved. The Gnostics were saying that they, you know, he's, he's combating them. And he uses the word Christ here, Christos, which means the anointed one. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. A lot of people today believe in Jesus. But you ask them who Jesus really is. Oh, he was a great man. He's a great prophet, great teacher. Gnostics didn't deny Jesus. They just said he wasn't human or they were, he wasn't God or any combination of the two. But do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he's the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity? Do you believe the Son of God? Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? But there are a lot of people who don't. And yet, they call themselves followers of God. Look at 2 John. It's only 13 verses. Just turn the page. Look at 2 John verse 9. Whoever transgresses or denies or, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Gnostics were saying, oh, Jesus was just born of Joseph and Mary in Nazareth. He, he never inherited a human, inhabited a human body. John, John is basically saying, buddy, if anybody ever denies that Jesus was, God, was the God-man or denies that he was the anointed one, or denies that he was the Messiah, or denies that he was the promised one, the one to come and take away our sin, that person's a liar. Old John didn't pull any punches, did he? And I use the word old literally because he was in his late 90s. They also deny the Father. Some say they believe in God in spite of not believing in Christ, but their God is not the God of the Bible if they deny Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this, not because I'm mad, because I'm passionate about it. Don't you let anybody ever tell you we decide we, we serve the same God and they deny Jesus. They do not serve the same God. 
Because God is manifested himself in Jesus Christ. Came to us. And John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To my Muslim friends, if you do not acknowledge the deity of Christ, then you do not have the Father. It's, Allah is not the same God of the Bible. To, to my Jewish friends, if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, you do not have the Father. To my Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses friend, if you don't acknowledge the deity of Christ, you do not have the Father. To my Mormon friends, if you do not acknowledge the deity of Christ in the same way that the Scripture acknowledges him, you don't have the Father. These are not the words of David Wilson. These are the words of God. Verse 23 talks about the reception of Jesus Christ, true belief. And I, and I tell you this every week. Have you acknowledged Jesus Christ? You ask God the Father to forgive you because of Jesus dying for our sin. He's the only mediator between God and man. And if you've never received Jesus, then there's not true belief. So how do you stand up in this day and age where there's so much false teaching going on? Well, John mentions the defense against false dogma. Verse 26 says... These things I've written to you concerning those who try even now to deceive you. There are people now, even, try, even now, trying to deceive you. We're always under attack. So how do you stand? First, by abiding in the word. Look at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning... In what you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true, and it's not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, folks, here's your best defense along with the Holy Spirit. The word abide means to continually dwell. Stay with it. Stay in there. What did he mean when he said, you do not need that anyone teach you? John's not saying you don't need any human teachers. Listen to me. He's saying you don't need human teaching, philosophy, 
You have teachers that teach you the word of God. We do our best here. We're, I'm not claiming any of us have a, uh, we're perfect a bit at this, but we try to teach you what God's word says. You don't really care what I think or my opinion or some new idea that I've come up with. If I, if I were to come in here and say, you know, the Lord has shown me that from now on, all of you must wear black or you're in sin. Now, I'm being ridiculous. I hope you think, I hope you know I'm being ridiculous. And you're going to go, have you lost your mind? Where does it say in God's word that all of us have to wear black? You see what I'm talking about? You understand? And there's a lot of this nonsense going on today. A lot of it's nonsense. That's a nice word for it. We don't need human teaching. We need or human philosophy. What we need is our human teachers that will teach you responsibly the Word of God, and they want you to read it. Anybody that says, oh, you don't need to read the Bible, they're false. There's nothing to hide. It's God's Word. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You may have never heard of the man Michael Plant. He was passionate about sailing, especially the ocean. Made a couple of trips around the world in a sailboat. His third trip, he designed and built a $650,000 racing vessel called the Coyote, or Coyote as we say out here. It was a lightweight, fiberglass-coated, foam-core-hull sailboat that was very fast. It had the latest technology in it, and on October the 16th, 1992, Plant launched from New York, headed across the Atlantic toward France. 3,600-mile trip. No one heard from Plant it wasn't long before he began to experience trouble, but no one heard from him for several days. And then on October the 21st, which was five days later, a passing Russian freighter picked up his transmission where he said, I have no power, but I'm working on the problem. He ended his transmission with this request, tell my fiance not to worry. That was the last direct communication anyone ever had with Plant. After 32 days, the coyote was finally spotted on a Sunday morning by a Greek tanker. It was drifting upside down. There was no sign of Plant. The mast, still fully sailed, was submerged, sticking 85 feet down in the water. So it was upside down, still intact. The hull was intact in an, up, in an inverted position, but when it was upside down, it exposed the fatal problem. 
There was an 8,400-pound lead keel. 8,400 pounds is four tons. No, yeah, four tons. It had been sheared off. Now, the keel on the bottom of a boat is the ballast that holds it down in there. When you've got a, a sail that high or a mast that high on a light boat, you've got to have the weight down underneath it to hold it in the water. Somehow it had been sheared off. They don't know if it was a, a faulty manufacturer or if something because he had no power and he was drifting, that a, a wave knocked it off or whatever. But when it knocked off the bottom of that boat, the weight that held it upright... It turned over. You see, the ballast weight in the lowest part of the vessel would give it stability, even in rough seas. And without it, the vessel would become top-heavy and be turned over by the waves. Folks, we are just as lost in this sea or ocean of lies and deception if you don't have the ballast of God's word. Because if you take this out of your life, then you're going to turn upside down. And you're going to be tossed, as James said, by every wind and wave of doctrine. Tossed back and forth. Paul warned it in Ephesians 4, not James. He said, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Ancient words. That's why we make such a big deal about abiding, staying in the word. 2012 research by the American Bible Society and by the Barner Research Group told us some bad news and some good news. The good news, 85%, they claim, 85% of American households have a Bible in their house. Some households averaged 4.3. Now, I don't know how you get 0.3 of a Bible, but it averaged 0.3. And 69% of Americans believe the Bible provides answers on how to live a meaningful life. But now for the bad news. 26% of Americans never read the Bible. 10% read it less than once a year. 79% of those believe that they are knowledgeable about the Bible, but 54% were unable to identify the first five books of the Bible. In case you don't know, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But here's the worst of all. 46% of Americans believe that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are different expressions of the same spiritual truth. A lot of the participants said that their biggest frustration was they didn't have time to read the Bible. (laughs) I would dare say they didn't take the time to read the Bible. 
The scripture says, let in Colossians, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Read it. The last thing John says, we have an anointing. I've already mentioned this of the Holy Spirit. Why does a Christian continue to follow Christ and not follow after false doctrine? Because the Holy Spirit will verify to you the truth. Compare anything I say to you with God's word. I I don't want you to take what I say at face value. I want you to compare it with what God's word says. And if I'm ever wrong, I want you to tell me. Don't give me your opinion. Come with me, come to me with your scripture and say, here's why I think you're wrong. And we'll have a nice, healthy discussion. Not a debate, but a discussion. The anointing which you have received of him. Romans 8 9 says that the moment that you accepted Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's the down payment, He's the earnest of your salvation. And He continues to abide in you. One of the things I, I would add to this. Stay in church. Because verse 19 says, they went out from us. Just staying in church won't make you follow the Lord. But I sure am going to tell you, it sure does help to be encouraged by other believers. My question to you today is, are you abiding in Christ? Have you met Jesus as your Savior? If you haven't, you're just a churchgoer. I've been there. I know what you, I know what it is. You're not, you're looking at, there's no more professional churchgoer than me. Even before I knew Jesus, I knew all the lingo. I knew all the choreography. I knew all that stuff. But until you know Jesus, church takes on a whole new meaning. Just being with other believers. When you walk away from that, you begin to get cold. The next thing you know, you begin to quit reading and you begin to quit following. And the next thing you know, if you're a true believer, God's going to come after you. The disciplining hand of God is real. But if you're not a believer, you're going to live out there and it doesn't bother you. Something's wrong. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. I pray you'll bring them to you, that they would abide in you, that they would not deny you. I pray for those that need a church. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful flock that you have put together here at Southcrest. There's always room for other believers. I pray for those that need to be baptized. You give them courage and strength. And Lord, I pray you'll bring them to you right now. There are pastors at the front to receive you and pray with you. I don't have but a couple of minutes, so would you quietly stand and would you come as the Holy Spirit leads you to come. If you're watching us online, 
hit that connect button or that raise your hand button and somebody will help you right now. Is there any commitment on your, in your heart today that you need to make? Would you come while we wait? Count him I could do nothing Without him I'd surely fail Without him I would be drifting Like a ship without a close an invitation because God is the one working on your heart. You can use the communication card to let us know of commitment. You can use the QR code on the front of the bulletin to let us know of a commitment. And we'll call you and talk to you about knowing Jesus. God's at work. There are people coming to Christ. There's seven people today going to profess Jesus through baptism. They've been saved, but now they're going to show you they mean business by being obedient to him couple of quick things. I've already mentioned to you the time change next week. I don't like it any more than you do. But unless we have a revolution, I guess we're going to keep doing it. Set your clocks ahead. Spring forward. You're going to lose an hour. If you don't, you're going to show up at the 930 service next Sunday. Pie night tomorrow night. We've got some pies to deliver. Easiest visit you'll ever make. Come and eat for free. Take a pie to a house and give it to them. See the smile on their face. That's all you have to do. It's just really a, it's, it's kind of the Uber service we do for Uber Eats. We Uber apple pies to them. We'd love to have you help us. Men, we have a couple more Sundays for you to sign up for the men's retreat. There's got a sign-up table out there to help you get registered. Guys, you don't want to miss this. We had such a marvelous time last sun, last year. And this year, General Jerry Boykin's going to be there. We're not going to embarrass you. You're not going to have to sleep with another man. I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to make it easy for you. So if you've got all these fears, oh, I, I don't know about being in a... You, you ain't got anything to be afraid of. We, we're all men. We don't like each other either. We're not going to, you know... You know what I'm talking about. We're not going to put you on the spot. Men's retreat. For those of you who have a smartphone or an iPad or something, I, I'm going to ask, I'm sincerely asking your help. If you would click on that QR code on the front of the bulletin or on the back of the chair, and when the stuff comes up, if you would hit update your profile, would you please take a picture of yourself or a picture of a picture of yourself? and put it in there. Listen, folks, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how when we hear of somebody that something's happened, the first thing I do is I look on the profile to see, oh, I know who those people are. Because I don't know everybody's name. I know you're disappointed in me, but I don't. 
And, and we're not going to post your picture on social media. All I need to know is who is this person so that I can recognize you. So if your picture's not in there, would you at least come by and let us take your picture or go on there and update your profile? It would help us. It helps all of us so much because we want to know who you are and we want to minister to you. And it, it's just a great help if you would, if you would do that. And, and you say, well, I don't make a good picture. Well, neither do I. But I at least know who you are. Guy got his picture made at the driver's license. <laughs> and they printed it for him. And he said, well, ma'am, I don't look very good. I'm not even smiling. He said, we know that. But that's how you're going to look when the officer looks at it. <laughs> and we'll recognize you. So I don't even care if you smile. Just put your picture in there. If you're a guest, I'd like to meet you. I'll be in the hospitality room. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.